Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mike Lynch. What's going on? This is Rashad. This is the Sports Sunday Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It is now brought to you on the fan by your local Les Schwab Tire Centers. Doing the right thing since 1952. Weekends were made for sports. How would you like to play for the New England Patriots? I'd love to. A look at the weekend in sports with the inside story on the Blazers, the Ducks, and the Beavers. Everyone, meet freelance alien bounty hunter, Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp? The football guy? Yeah, I hunt aliens now. Used to catch TDs, now I catch ETs. You ever caught an alien, Shannon? Not yet, Mr. Question, but I'll let you know when I do. This is Sports Sunday with Mike Lynch. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Look at this room. What a beautiful room. Have you seen this room? Yes, we're in it. And Rashad Taylor. Okay, dude, I can see you don't want to be cheered up here. Come on, Donnie, let's go get us a lane. On ESPN Sports Radio 1080, The Fan. Hour 2 of 2 here on Sports Sunday. Mike and Jesse with you. Rashad is out sick once again today. Hopefully back next week. Sounds like he got the flu and then he got tonsillitis because he had the flu. So we are in a, a world of, of Rashadless Sports Sunday for the last couple of weeks. And uh, hopefully he's feeling better. I, I assume he's feeling better. He just can't talk right now because of the tonsillitis. That's my assumption. I've never had tonsillitis before. I don't really know what it is. I mean, I know what it is. I don't know what it feels like or what it does. Does he need his tonsils taken out? I would assume so. Gonna have them the tonsils taken out. If he comes back next week and the tonsils not taken out, I'm gonna be wondering. Very true. Mm-hmm. Were you were you just out for two weeks because you were out for two weeks? Right. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Did you have a little bit of a rough Saturday night? And you decide? just saw this one coming. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, and like, I'm not gonna be able to make it. I've got a uh, I've got a surgery scheduled six months from now. Right. Yeah. That yeah. kind of, that kind of thing. That could be it, but hopefully he's back and hopefully he's he's doing okay with uh, with the tonsillitis and the flu and whatever else he's got going on in that body of his. Uh, I was just looking at the NBA standings here. And I'm going to move on from the NBA here in a second. I just wanted to relay this to the people. I didn't know this. Did you know that the Phoenix Suns have lost not one, not two, not three, not 15, not 16, but 17 straight games? <laughs> I was looking at the lottery lottery teams at the bottom of the standings, and uh, they have the worst record in the NBA by two losses. The Knicks also have 11 wins. The, the Suns are 11-50, and 50, and they've lost 17 games in a row. And I was looking at the Bulls, who somehow have won three games in a row, including beating the Celtics in their last game. So I don't know what's going on there. They're, they're clearly not tanking for Zion. But the Suns have lost 17 games in a row. I... Is that I, I, what? What? I know they play in the West, and there's a lot of really good teams in the West, but that's kind of crazy. I just don't get how teams could be so bad. They just lost the, the Cavaliers level. by 13 points. How? How is there no talent on that team? Well, there is talent on that team, but they're not trying. This they the know how to tank. This is the problem with the NBA. Like, because <laughs> all you're doing is teaching your talent to lose. Like, yeah. You teach them to lose. You teach them the culture of losing. Devin Ask, Booker, twenty four points per game. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, yeah, that's that's adding up in the win column. Like DeAndre Ayton in his freshman year, or freshman year, rookie year, sixteen points, ten boards. There's your, hey, hey, you know what? You, you get what? one more number one pick, 
You won't lose 17 there, games. You're in right. Row. You'll win 25. You'll win 25 <laughs> games next season. You'll throw a parade like the Cleveland Browns did when they, they when they won like eight. But hey, I will say this. I am not necessarily anti-tanking, right? I think it is a viable strategy. It's not one that fans will enjoy, but it is a viable strategy to get good, to get good fast. And it didn't take, it, it took Philly a long time in their tanking method. That right? was not fast. But now they're really good. I guess. I don't they think got, anybody thinks they're viable in the in the right. in the national or in the you know the NBA finals. But a couple hunt. of the picks that you took at the top, Simmons and and Embiid specifically, have worked out very well. They're both very good players. They're very good. One can't stay on the court, and the other can't shoot threes in a league that loves to shoot threes. All right, cool. And Phoenix, <laughs> who has now tanked for many years, they they have a very long trust the process too. Devin Booker, great player, really good shooter, really good scorer. Aiton looks good in his, his rookie year. They got Josh Jackson, who's doing okay, but they also just traded for Kelly Oubre from the Wizards, who's actually not that bad. So if you get uh, another number one or number two pick this year, which could be either Zion Williamson or hell, R.J. Barrett, if you watched that Duke game yesterday, holy cow, that guy is good. Um, to me, that could actually be that year where all of a sudden you're like, wait, a, it's like the Kings this year. Wait a minute. Oh, they're good now. They're actually a decent team. I think that could happen with the Suns next year if they it won't, well it's not going to be an if when they get that number one or number two pick. I I agree. I think it is a totally viable way to accumulate talent, get talent on your roster. I still I am a I I just I can't pound the table hard enough for what a culture does to a franchise, and I just believe so much that you teach your young talent that you're bringing in that's uber talented how to lose because. You said it. They're scoring 24 points a game, yet they're still losing. So what are those points really doing to help this team? What's that young talent really doing to help this team? The culture of winning is a very important thing. That's why you have franchises like the Boston Celtics. Boston didn't get Greg Oden. What did they do? They go, okay, well, fine. We're just going to go to the NBA Finals this year. They went. They made the moves to do that. And then they made the smart moves of, we're getting old. We need to rebuild. And they rebuilt in an instant because they didn't become too attached to certain players. Well, because they, and, and, Danny they found, Ainge is a freaking wizard. Hey, hey, no, well, I'm say, we'd be saying the same thing about the dude that just got fired in New Orleans if he just would have taken everything that L.A. offered. But Danny Ainge, when the Celtics made the playoffs, got the number three pick and took Jason Tatum. That to me, I mean, he's a wizard, absolute it, wizard. He's a very smart GM, but he's also showing that you that you can that you can accumulate talent quickly if you're smart with the talent that you have and understand what it is, where it's expiring, and that there's somebody out there that's going to value it more than it should be. By the way, Celtics are just the five seed right now. They are struggling, they but they have the uber amounts of talent. Yep. They, like what happened when they got rid of Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen? Overnight, they were they were good, right? Yeah. Basically, it, I think there was a year that they were kind of iffy. You found somebody who's like, oh, oh, Paul Pierce, like Kevin Garnett. Oh, okay, yeah, oh, that's I like those names. Uh, and they have this like idea of what they were and not what they are, because there's typically a GM that has that mentality, and teams just refuse to do that. I think it's becoming more of a thing where okay, as as players start to force their way out, that play that franchises franchises are starting to take advantage of that. But, you know, when you just naturally organically just let a contract play out or, or try to go for one more year, 
that can sometimes hinder you in the process. And then you go into the process and you learn, you teach your players how to lose. Yeah, I, I agree. But I don't think every team is as lucky to have a good GM like Danny Ainge. And True that. a lot of teams don't, even if they tried to do that, would fail at doing that. So in some senses, the tanking is the easier route because you're guaranteed good players out of college. You have to develop them, but you're guaranteed a good player out of college. I mean, it happened in baseball, too. The Astros were awful for like seven, eight years, and now they're one of the three best teams in baseball. And that's another key thing is developing them. It's hard to develop them as you're trying to tank. True. And so, so baseball is different because you have the minor leagues. Yes. You can develop them without affecting the their winning attitude all right let's break coming up next is antonio brown worth the headache for a new team this is sports sunday on the fan weekends were made for sports this is sports sunday with mike and rashad on 1080 the fan Is Antonio Brown worth the headache? Text your thoughts. Better you today. Text line 55305. I also posted this on Facebook. Facebook.com slash 1080 the fan. So far, it is a landslide for yes, he's worth the headache. But I feel like it's it's an interesting question for one very simple reason. And it's a reason that we kind of alluded to last segment. Uh, winning culture, having good players that fit each other. And Antonio Brown is one of the two or three best receivers in the NFL. You could certainly argue he is the best receiver in the NFL. His numbers would certainly back that up. But over the last couple of years, it has been nothing but off-the-field issues for him as well, whether it's arguments with coaches, disagreements with Big Ben, in the media saying things, being distracted by doing this or all the all these things constantly happening around Antonio Brown. And I mean, hell, if you're putting up 1,700 yards, 1,800 yards receiving every single year and almost double-figure touchdowns every year of the last five, only nine two years ago is the, the reason why you don't have double-figure touchdowns all those times. Part of me says, well, you could do whatever the hell you want. If you're producing, you, you're producing. I think you can look at a guy like, Terrell Owens and say the same thing. He caused headaches, but he he produced constantly. Randy Moss caused headaches in, in Minnesota, at least. And hell, he produced. It didn't matter. So, and receivers have always been divas in, in some sense. I mean, some of them have at least. It's a, it's a stereotype for that position for a reason. But I think the fact that Antonio Brown basically undermined his own team this year is a bigger red flag than people are making it out to be. He's not just being annoying. He's not just being different and trying to have a different opinion and trying to, to do different things than the rest of the team. He straight up just isn't showing up to, to practice. He didn't show up to get an MRI. He's disappearing for two days without anyone, him telling them where he's going. And that to me is way more destructive than just being a diva receiver who wants a lot of good things. And for me, that's a little bit of a bigger reason why it gives me worry about wherever he goes next, him just basically going, I'm worth this much money. You're going to pay me this much money. And he is worth a lot of money. He's a great receiver. But that attitude of saying that and then going into a new team and going, I'm the king, bow before me. I'm the best player you have. 
I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to follow your, your coaching staff. I don't have to mesh in with the players. I'm going to do me and just be good on Sundays. I think that could be really, really destructive, and it worries me. And that's why I think this is different than than some other diva receivers that we've seen in the past because it just – I don't know. Maybe it's just that attitude rubs me the wrong way personally, and I, I don't – I'm, I, I don't know if it's a, it's going to be a good fit for everybody. I Okay, so from somebody who listens out of market sports radio, um, this is obviously a big, a big topic, and the Broncos have been linked to Antonio Brown because we don't know who right now the three teams are that have been, I guess, uh, in negotiations for trading for Brown with the Steelers, but I assume the Niners are one. Uh, Niners are probably one. And that'd be my, my guess is the, the front runners. They, they have the, you know, they have a lot of ammunition to go out and get them if they really want to. But the fact is, is that I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about what Antonio Brown is. And I very much agree with, we've had diva receivers. There's a diva receivers, one thing, but what I look at Antonio Brown, what I've seen, out of him is it reminds me of like let, let's put this into a metaphor right like he's this apple that's growing on this tree right you got this apple farmer he's out in his orchard he sees this apple and he's like i've never seen an apple like that on this tree before like any of these trees this is the biggest shiniest best looking apple i've ever seen out producing like it's like double the size of all these apples right and you're just looking at he's bringing other people look at this apple look at this apple guys look at this freaking apple everybody's like oh wow that's a really nice apple that apple is amazing that apple's just sitting up there like oh man look at me look at me look at me all this time because apples have brains yeah. right yeah yeah well this is a metaphor right and all this time <laughs> this app apple's getting all these accolades and what's happening at the core of this apple is it's rotting from the inside out and the next thing you know, you look up at that apple and you're like, that apple's not very nice. Nope. That's not a very good looking apple. That is a rotten, cancerous apple. Do you want to bring that rotten, cancerous apple to your team? And that's the difference between a diva and what he is right now is, is he, you have a guy in Mike Tomlin that has bred this cancer out of him. Because Mike Tomlin, after the season, said as long as he's producing, he can act this way. He literally said that. That breeds this cancer. I think a lot of people in the NFL would say that. You know, yeah. it's hey, he's a great player, right? Uh, I'll tell you who won, and, and this is why I don't think he would also work in Denver, is because you have a guy in Denver and Vic Fangio that says death by inches. You show up late to a meeting, there's going to be consequences. You think Antonio Brown shows up on time to his meetings? I don't. <laughs> Probably not. So if you have a guy, like he, I don't think works in Baltimore. I don't think Harbaugh deals with that. I don't yeah. think he – I think he just – I. Harbaugh's not the type of guy that'll just deal with that. There are like, uh, you know, well, he's not going to New England. In New England, man, he would have to change his ways in New England. You have you have to walk a certain path for certain coaches. You're right. There are certain guys that would just love him. Bring the cancer in and see what happens to that locker room. I think to slightly change your metaphor just in, into what I, I personally think, I think that he's this great shiny apple that has like 70% rotten. There's still some good on it. You can still get something off the apple, right? His production. That's kind of what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, Is yeah, okay. Basically, if you take that outer edge of the of the apple and it's still sweet and it's good and it's there, but the rest of it is a waste. You're you're getting this really 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 good-looking object receiver and you'll get some production out of it, but 70% of the time 
you're not going to be able to use it in the way that you thought you were. You're not going to be able to get all 100% of, of Antonio Brown because of the ego and the diva aspect that seems even uh, – maybe, maybe it's a – this is the last, the latest that we've seen. It's the most recent, so we, we make it seem bigger or, or worse in our head. But I don't remember the other classic diva receivers doing things like this that really were detrimental to it. And that's team. why I'm saying it's it's the difference between a guy like Randy Moss. You can you can deal with him. That's his that's his personality. To to always wore his heart honestly. That's who he was. But when he was on the field. Uh, I, I think most people actually thought he was a really good teammate. Um, that the one time I could think of where he divided with a locker room was in was in Philly, where he really divided a locker room. But I I think that's the extreme of a diva where Antonio Brown wasn't a diva when he came in. I think he was a pretty humbled individual coming in in the sixth round. Central Michigan he didn't right? play the big school. Yeah. Exactly. This is something he also didn't get good until. A couple of years into his career. Four years ago, you looked at Antonio Brown. He looked like a likable guy. He looked like a nice guy. He looked like somebody you wanted to hang out with. And now you're just, like I said, he's that rotten apple. He's the guy that you're pointing to for so long. And by the time you realize the, the apple's rotten, it, it's 90% rotten. Mm -hmm. there, there's barely, because you see that little spot on the outside. Oh, like, what's that? And then you, like, cut it open and cut it in half. You're like, oh, man, this is, like, all brown and black on the inside. Ugh. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah, I hate that. You think you picked the perfect one. I'm. I. This is a total tangent. I pride myself because I have an apple every day for lunch. An apple away keeps the doctor away. Uh, I also like apples, but I pride myself on being able to pick good apples at the supermarket. By the way, this is the most time the word apple has ever been said on a segment in this station's history, guaranteed. <laughs> um, I pride myself on picking really, really good apples. Right. I. I I'm very particular little OCD about it. I want it to look good. There's a certain size, all that kind of stuff. And I go home and I put it in the drawer. And then every day I come out and I cut the apple and I put it in a little bag. And when I find one of those apples that has like nine bruises all of a sudden, and when I cut it open, there's brown on the inside, I go, are you kidding me? <laughs> the amount of time I spent picking through these different apples that I have to now cut away all this crappy stuff, it infuriates me. It infuriates. It's just a little tangent. That's it's like a little thing for me where I just go. I spend so much time working on this stupid little thing just to have good apples for lunch, and it's brown on the. Well, it, I mean, isn't I that it. kind of the idea of the Steelers right now? We worked so much time growing and and showing off this apple, and we never got a Super Bowl out of it. We never got a Super Bowl. I wasn't turning into out a metaphor, it. but you're right. Yeah, <laughs> it is kind of like what the Steelers are doing because you're losing Le'Veon Bell too. Yep. Who, by the way, is doing something very similar, um, although at least he's not cancerous in the locker room he was just staying out of the locker room forever which is maybe just as bad well at the, the, i mean at the end of the season the offensive line didn't want anything to do with them they were vocally like we're behind ben i think we're done with him and then i think a week later like well i guess we can maybe mend this and he can come back but like yeah no this is this i don't think really four years ago you would not have thought this capable like like brown capable of this i don't think uh, better you today text line five five three zero five. Antonio Brown is leaving his best possible situation because he's selfish. That's it. I think part of it is that Juju Smith Schuster has passed him, and that's just natural selection in football. It doesn't mean Antonio Brown is bad. Just Smith Schuster is younger, and that makes him a little bit better because Brown's slowing down a tiny bit. He's not able right. to to make the same cuts and routes he was he used to be able to. And Smith Schuster is better down the field too. He's much better at, as a deep threat as well as cutting inside. He doesn't like that. He wants to be the number one guy. 
So that text is right. It is 100% selfish. She goes, I'm the man. I want to be the number one guy. And that's where I, that's why I want to get traded away from the Steelers. This text from one of our P1s, uh, Corey Dillon, Randy Moss looked like trouble when they joined the Pats. I didn't think Kawhi would play hard for Toronto, but he has, yet he abandoned the Spurs. That's a good point. Um, although, to be fair, I never viewed those three, maybe Corey Dillon a little bit with the Bengals, but I never viewed those three players in the same light as I viewed Antonio Brown, where like Kawhi Leonard abandoned the Spurs, yes, it didn't feel the same as the Antonio Brown thing to me because Leonard just stopped. He didn't show up and, and have a bad personality. He wasn't late. He didn't show up. Sometimes he just didn't go. Well, and Once that was the injury happened, yeah. he was done. And I, I'm not disagreeing with the text. It was selfish. And I, if I were Kawhi Leonard, I would not have done that, right? I would have come back to play for your team. Even if you don't want to play for the Spurs after the year ends and you want to go somewhere else, I, would, I wouldn't have done what he did. And I think Leonard took bad advice. I think his brother or uncle or someone was in his corner basically telling him do what do everything for you and don't don't care about the Spurs all of the Spurs created you. They found you and made you a great player. Um I didn't view Kawhi Leonard exactly the same as I view Antonio Brown. Same with Randy Moss. No, Antonio Brown is a little bit different than a lot of these guys. I I think Kawhi's an interesting likeness because Kawhi when he came in is he, I think he was a pretty humble guy as well. Not a ton was expected around him. I believe he was taking what around that like twelfth, seventeenth pick when um, the Spurs moved up to get him, and, and so I don't think a ton was expected out of him. But he ended up being an NBA Finals MVP. He ends up being a guy who's considered a top five player in this league. And you're right, the Spurs ended up creating this person, and instead of being thankful for everything that the Spurs have given him as an organization, all like all the advantages he's had, he, he wanted out, he wanted to be the face. He wanted, he wanted more accolades and more attention. And that, that is to me very similar to what Antonio Brown is doing. Um, and it, it's a, to me, it's a, a part of what we get now with the AAU culture. It's, it's, it's about me. It's not about the team. It's about the points. It's not about the team. It's about you. It's not about the team. It's not about the brotherhood of fighting with the guys that are with you on the field or on the court. And that's one thing that I that is the purity of sports that I think is lacking. And that that comes from the way that we're raising these these athletes. And these that's days. not that's not the kids' fault or no, the, the athletes' it's not. fault. That's the culture they're raised in, Correct. and they and they mold to that. It's the outward influences fall and frankly, the system's fault in some sense. One more text. Then we're going to break. This is from uh, Jay and Beaverton. T.O. was a pretty humble player until he became the number one in San Francisco after Rice left. T.O. turned into a diva his third or fourth year. He and Brown are kind of on the same path. Yeah, I, I could see that. That's a good, good comparison. A couple of years early on, Brown was a normal receiver, not the number one guy necessarily. And that was Heinz Ward. And, uh, and then Brown becomes number one, turns into a diva, gets worse and worse and so on and so forth. But, uh, like T.O., I suppose, not not winning any Super Bowls either. Although he did play on a broken leg, so he's got that going for him. All right, let's break. Coming up next, it is time for Hate It or Love It. Once again, there's no competition, so I'm just going to keep building this winning streak and then brag it, brag about it next week and hold it over Rashad's head for a long time. That's and he'll just be like, hey, Jesse, if you don't, if you don't like give me the win today, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. He did throw that at you once. That was... It's pretty extreme. Uh, all right, let's break. Jesse has Sports Center.
Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. All right, that music means it is time for Hate It or Love It. Generally, this is a competition between Rashad and I, and Jesse would award us points based on the questions he asks. There we go. I win thanks to those six points back to back to back. But we'll just... uh, <laughs> we'll just make it a kind of a fast-paced opinion-based thing based on questions Jesse came up with. So, go for it. All right. Yeah. Um so RJ Barrett, um this is kind of an interesting thing uh to me. Uh became the first player under Duke to score 30 points multiple times on the road for under coach Shashevsky. I did not know that. Yeah, they it was uh, I mean, unless ESPN was lying to me when I was listening on the way in, it, it just blew my mind. Like, that's an interesting stat. Now, granted, uh, a lot of points in the NCAA is more along the lines of, like, 20, 25 points because it's a shorter game and uh, and all that jazz. So um, 30 points is a lot at the college level. But that's actually quite an impressive stat for a guy that always has talent, always has some of the best players in college basketball, and currently has what's considered the top two players in the upcoming NBA draft with Zion Williams and R.J. Barrett. Now, before the regular season, R.J. Barrett was considered the number one pick in the draft. It is switched to Zion Williams. Love or hate? Despite the fact Zion is considered to be the top prospect coming to the draft. R.J. Barrett will be the better pro at the next level. Oh, 100% love it. 100% love it. Uh, by the way, Williamson. Not Williams, Williams, sorry. Suk does that too all the time. Um, Zion is an athletic freak. He is going to be a very interesting player in the NBA because he just does so many things. The, the, the play that is emblazoned in my head for Zion was a couple of games ago for them I want to say it was against Louisville or Virginia from a couple weeks ago he started at the edge of the paint and he blocked a three-point shot nobody in between him and he jumped so early and he was still rising when he reached the three-point line to block the shot I was just blown away by how crazy athletic this guy is but RJ Barrett is a pure basketball player and I think because of that, he'll have earlier success than Zion will. Because I think Zion, once he hits the NBA, is going to hit his first real wall of competition of guys who are also really athletically gifted and will be able to stop him from doing certain things. Whereas RJ can just score. I mean, I've watched Duke a couple times this year, watched them against North Carolina. Obviously, I watched the two games against Syracuse, including yesterday as a Syracuse guy. Just watching yesterday's game in particular, he was getting tons and tons of looks that were contested and he he finished the game shooting 14 for 20 and it was just soft touch after soft touch they were not all great shots but off the rim off the backboard and in he he knows how to put the right touch on the ball to get points in college against good defenses and i think that translates really well into the nba he can shoot the ball he can cut inside i haven't really seen him be the best passer personally but i've seen him have games where uh, i'm looking at his stats right now he's had nine assists ten assists seven assists yesterday so we can pass the ball well uh defensively i think we're a little bit unsure about a lot of players in college defensively but duke plays good defense so i'm going to assume that he is also solid defensively 
he is going to be, I think, a lot better than Zion in the NBA. And I think just because Zion was a is a much more flashy guy, he's got the potential to be the number one pick. I would take R.J. Barrett. He's that good. Yeah, it's he's the difference good. between that raw talent of Zion and right. the... R.J. feels really polished. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and you can overlook defense when you're so polished on the offensive side of the game um, because you know that at the very least, you can be a guy like Steve Nash and not be a, a, a total liability, but not good on the defensive end, but amazing on the offensive side. Of the and, game, uh, you know. I'm not saying that he's not good on defense. I don't know because I haven't watched enough Duke to make a true statement of, hey, he's a really good defender. But just from what I have seen offensively, he is he's special, super special. Yeah, no, I, well, the ability to be polished on both the offensive side and then on the defensive side, I think that's where you, you vault into that superstar category at the next level on a, a guy like Kobe Bryant, who is not just an all-NBA offensive player, but an all-NBA defensive player uh, uh, as well and um, multiple times in his year. So uh, I, I, I asked, asked that because I, I thought it was interesting. Um, it's that whole concept of are you falling in love with the flash or are you staying with what you like what you thought and knew at the beginning of the season? Uh, yeah, I'm not falling in love with the flash. I don't normally do, but it's still fun to watch. You have that even keeled head just kind of put on straight, you know, I try. Yeah. <laughs> Unless the Blazers win two games <laughs> and now all of a sudden they're going to be great. I'm oh, trying. I'm trying. Oh, nice segue. Oh, thank you. Nice segue. Uh, the Blazers added a big man mm. um, right before the all-star break. He's been in two games so far. I don't know if you noticed. I did. He's pretty good. He is pretty good. Like, I mean, we can once again go back to that last that last statement. He's got we some can, good footwork. His defense not so good, but his offense game pretty pretty good. Yeah. So we we can overlook the 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 defensive side of things. Love or hate, Cantor is the boost Portland needs to make it out of the first round. You kind of felt like maybe you were getting there earlier on the day. Maybe. Um. Hmm. I hate that I have to make a, a solid decision on this for this for the basis of this game, because right now my answer for for that question would be I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> in the middle, it's been two games, but if I have to pick, I'm going to say hate uh, because it's purely matchup dependent too. That's what we were talking about earlier in the show. I think against a team that doesn't have great bigs, Cantor's addition certainly could help the Blazers get out of the first round. But if you're going up against a team like the Jazz with Rudy Gobert or uh, Nikola Jokic on the Nuggets, however the, the standings fall out, then you're going to have a little bit more of a problem because it's not as much of an advantage anymore. I do think he helps your second unit. He's an instant 14-8 and eight off the bench or potentially a double-double off the bench, even most games, which I think helps and gives you more depth. I think it gives you a lot more of a chance to be competitive in the first round. But I still feel like there are flaws on this team that in a seven-game series will be found out and the other team will be able to focus, just like the Pelicans did last year, on stopping the best parts of the Blazers. It'll be harder, but they'll still be able to do it. So I st I'm going to have to say hate if I have to choose, but my real answer is I don't know it's two games. I'll, I'll throw, I'll, I'll make this a little deeper. I'll make it a little easier on you then. Okay, we're freezing the standing. Somehow, some way, we're, we're, we're three quarters <laughs> of the way through the season, basically. Um, we have a pretty good idea who teams are. We're going to freeze the standings. We're going to say that Portland is going to go in to the playoffs against Houston. Do they make it out of the first round? Mm. They're going in against Houston. Fissy, they have home, home court advantage. Mm. 
no. <laughs> because Chris Paul owns Damian Lillard, and James Harden will score 50 points, and there'll be some random guy in the Rockets who does well, and Clint Capella will stop being a shell of himself. And no. You heard it here first. They can't even beat the Rockets who have, you know, Clint Capella. Worst defensive. I mean, yeah. All right. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> I'm just trying to be realistic, okay? It's really exciting right now, but we all know how the excitement ends if you're a Blazer fan. It's true. We all know. It's true. Uh, I well, like the matchup for the bigs, but I don't like Chris Paul. Chris Paul owns Dan. He owns him. He, he owns has. him. He has, but we have... Well, no, wait a minute. Chris Paul had to go down in that, that series, didn't he? Yep. He and Blake oh. Griffin both, both got hurt. Oh. Okay, you're right. Yeah. You're right. He, but, but... But we but. didn't have Cantor. <laughs> or Nurkic. Uh, that's a little depressing. Okay. Yeah, you know what? They could beat them, but I'm still gonna, if I have to choose, I'm going to say no. Okay. Well, guess what, everybody? Portland's not making it out of the first round. You heard it here first from <laughs> Mike Lynch. <laughs> oh, boy. It's, it's tough. It's tough. All right. Let's break. Coming up next, we wrap this bad boy up. This is Sports Sunday on The Fan. Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. One final segment to go. Here on Sports Sunday, Mike and Jesse with you today. Rashad out sick. A couple of text questions before we wrap this bad boy up. Is Zion the new Charles Barkley? Well, he looks like Charles Barkley in terms of size, and he plays like Charles Barkley in a lot of ways. So he might be. That might be the best comparison to him. A lot of people say LeBron because physically he's kind of a freak, but he's not LeBron James. It, it could be Charles Barkley, and that would be an incredible comparison if he could wind up being the next Charles Barkley. We don't have a lot of those anymore in the NBA, so it would be interesting to see how he would fit in. No, it – I think we would – we would and he would benefit from being able to watch him another year or two in college and determine if he really is going to be the next, you know um, – That's his ceiling. Charles Barkley. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good ceiling. Pretty good ceiling. Um, we've also seen players just jump – off the court in college basketball go high 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 in the draft and nowhere to be found in the nba level what about rj barrett my first thought for him is paul george similar in, in stature good shooter can go inside with ease good around the rim i'm going to assume solid defender because paul george is a solid defender right. just, that, that's my that's my thought with rj barrett now i don't know What's a better ceiling? I'm assuming Barkley's a better ceiling than Paul George, but to me, that's the style of player I feel like R.J. Barrett is. Well, ceiling, Charles Barkley, Hall of Famer. We don't know exactly with um, Paul George, Paul George, PG-13, uh, what what his ceiling is yet, you know, especially considering you, you had basically a season and a half where he was gone because he was dealing with a catastrophic injury, you know, took a half season to come back from that, a full season, basically. Um, but now you're starting to see what that ceiling was and why people thought he was the LeBron James stopper and this guy that could carry a team. And basically he did when he was 
uh, a pacer. Um, he, he carried those teams, made those players a lot better that were around him. The question is, is he going to be going to NBA Finals? Because NBA Finals, that's that's the pinnacle. That's that's the top of the mountain, and that's probably who you. I, right now, the modern day NBA. Who would you rather have, Paul George or um, modern day Paul modern, George? See, me too. It's it's going back to that. It's a three point three point game. Guy that needs to be able to really help your team on the perimeter. That wasn't necessarily Barkley's game. No, and but it's just it's interesting to hear Barkley as the comparison for Zion because it's, that's not something you've heard for a very long time for no. a college player. Well, yeah, it, the college game has gone away from that type of player. So yeah. to see a player like that dominating. And basketball is interesting because basketball's gone away from them. Um, but I, I'd probably rather have Paul George. I just think that's the type of guy that can help a team in the modern day basketball a little bit more. But this, this text says, "How could Bear be better with a comparison to PG three and Zion compared to Barkley, a top five power forward and fifty greatest ever?" Because of what Jesse's saying, the game is different now. I I don't know how a player like Barkley would fit in today's game. I don't know. Right. I don't know. I'm sure he'd and, be. And Damn maybe good. Paul George isn't the best comparison. It's just the first thing that came to mind when watching him yesterday was this feels an awful lot like Paul George. But I mean, hell, it could be it could be anyone who's a great scorer inside outside who can cut and pass and all this. Kind of, I mean, it could be Kobe. It could be anybody. I mean, if you were if you really want to go, if he's better than than Zion, which I do think he is. And we're saying Zion to Charles Barkley, then whatever player that is to you in that realm then put him there i'm just saying what it reminded me of when i watched him yesterday that's all this text also it's coming twice today i'm not sure if it's a sarcastic text or if it's a serious blazer fan the blazers are a problem for all nba teams in all caps Mm. don't think that's true well so i I, I, i'm he sent it twice so i'm not sure if it's sarcasm or if he's actually feeling this way but uh Please do explain if it is a, that is a true feeling for you. Why do you think they're a problem for all NBA? Teams? Well, is that is that big three a big four now? I mean, you got Dame, oh you got CJ, you got Nurk. Stop Throw it. a little bit of cancer in there, mix it all Stop up. You it. got a big four. Stop big it. Big four. Stop it. Stop it. All right. Zach in Portland said the cancer's a literal god and will win us a championship single-handedly. <laughs> no, he's a good piece. That's Dude, I mean, if you can add a god... Mm. Who's going to get you a, a championship single-handedly for a veteran player's minimum? I'd go Poseidon. You, dude. Dude, you're I guess me, I you, guess we're saying Neil O'Shea is the best GM of all time. You're telling me that Poseidon on the court with his water abilities wouldn't just change the game of basketball? <laughs> he's going to make everybody sweat really bad. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, you're like, oh, he's sweating over there. I can't handle the ball. All of a sudden, a shark comes out onto the court. Everyone runs away, and he's just like, hey, I'm... Gonna score the rest of the buckets, guys. Sticks a, ti- a triton through your eye. Whoa. You mean a trident? Yeah. <laughs> I like... Okay. Another tangent, since we're on in the last segment anyway. And this might be purely an influence of my wife, who loves the ocean and loves sharks. Like, she loves the ocean. So she likes shark week. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sharks are her favorite animal. Frankly, might, might be one of her favorite things. We have shark stuff all over the house. Interesting. Um... This might be because of her, but I'm very much into the water, water, God things. There's a lot of water, ocean water, yeah, a ocean water. Like seeing Aquaman was really cool because it was based underwater and it was he controls the ocean. And seeing, you know, thinking about Poseidon as a god 
is awesome to me because you're you're controlling the water. I know Aquaman always gets this really bad rap because he's made fun of for not being able to do anything out of the water. My favorite Family Guy cutaway of all time is this woman is getting like attacked on the beach. Aquaman gets out of the water and goes, hey, you stop that. And the guy goes, what are you going to do about it? He goes, well, why don't you come into the water and I'll show you. And he goes, no. And he, Aquaman just starts, he just yells at him from the water because he can't do anything. <laughs> right? That's my biggest image of Aquaman. But watching that movie, it's just cool. It's, I don't know. I like it. I like the ocean. The ocean's a cool place. Mysterious. It is very mysterious. A little it's scary. Like the last basically unexplored place on the planet. A little scary, but yeah. pretty cool. Oh, there's some there's some scary creatures down there. You seen those those like deep deep sea yeah like creatures that they have? They they actually have they're like LA gear shoes. They light up. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, they got the little light that dangles in front of them. And well, stuff. there's that one. But if you haven't seen, have you watched Blue Planet? It's basically so. the planet Earth of underwater. There they do one. I think it was last in the first Blue Planet because there's two of them now, where they go deep sea and. They, they literally have these fish that because it's so dark under there, they use lights. They're all over their body. They're just flashing constantly. It looks like a like an EDM concert. <laughs> and it's just and like an LA gear shoe is the best comparison I could think of. But it was really, really cool. Really interesting that that could go on somewhere that we can't even see. Well, if you want to take this tangent really uh, in a weir- really weird direction really quickly. I'm down. Um, do, you, do you ever watch BoJack Horseman? Nope, nor have I heard of it. Okay, well, oh, wow. Um, what is that? It, okay, so BoJack Horseman's a, a animation geared towards adults where all the characters are, oh, there's humans and there's creatures. I have heard right? of this. Is uh, uh, Daniel Tosh in that? No. Um, okay. Uh, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but uh, it's, it's basically, it's like this, it, at first you're like, this is kind of funny, it's silly. And then a few episodes into the first season, you realize that this is a little bit different than most shows. It makes you feel. Mm. And it really makes, like, honestly, a lot of times it kind of makes you feel bad because the character's not necessarily a good character, but you want to, that's Bojack, and you want to. Anyway, so there's an episode that they do where he has to go and um, I, it, he does movies. He's an actor or whatever in this world, and he's got to go underground, uh, underwater to promote his, his, um, his movie and everything that whole episode basically there's no talking it's all done through actions and animation and what the story's all about but right. it's him going into this like deep ocean where things are glowing and and it just kind of gives you an idea of like oh, it could be kind of a fun little interesting world down there what oh, exactly yeah. it is you know the creativity that Atlantis we get. is real duh yeah no that like they basically recreate that all it give you the idea of like it's kind of a it's scary, but it also is a really cool, interesting world down there that we take it take for advantage. Yeah. Well, there's our there's our tangent for the last segment. Uh, we will be we will be back next week. Omaha, not yet, not yet, Peyton. That's the end of the show. Uh, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, Rashad will be here next week, and we'll continue doing uh, our our Sports Sunday show. We'll have more Blazers to talk about. Obviously, they'll have played three more games on this road trip including the two against the Celtics and the Raptors, two tough games. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of other things that we can get to. I do want to get to this Pac-12 article I did not get to in the show today from 538, giving you lots of little stats and details about where the conference is in football and basketball and why, or at least part of the reason why it has struggled as mightily as it has. Thank you so much for listening and texting. Lots of texts today. Appreciate it. 
uh, on the Better You Today text line 55305. Les Schwab Tires Podcast. You can podcast the show if you missed any of it and want to go back and listen. And you can find us on social media at Mike Lynch 27 is me. Rashad's at TaylorMade503. Jesse's at Jesse Osmond. A-S-Z-M-I-N. Enjoy the rest of your week. Hopefully it doesn't snow too bad tomorrow and you get to enjoy the week ahead. And we'll see you next Sunday. Have a good one. This one's for Pat!